Hello and welcome to the 84 Million Podcast. Um, today we have our friend Vlad Costeo with us. Uh, we're really, really uh, looking forward to talking with him today. Um, he's the host of the Bitcoin Takeover Podcast, which is now in its fifth year. He's the publisher of the beautiful uh, BTC TKVR magazine in print and digital. He's a former volunteer at the Litecoin Foundation, which I recently discovered. He's one of Litecoin's earliest community content writers and has assisted in the past with the development of Light Wallet. In addition to his digital platforms, he's spoken at a number of Bitcoin and crypto-centric uh, events and conferences. Um, he's a self-described maximalist, Bitcoin ma maximalist, I should say, um, yet perhaps not a Bitcoin conservative, terms I hope we can discuss today. He's a the go-to source for tracking the super cycle and can be, sound, can be found on Twitter, X, at LeVlad Costea. I'll also add on his own show, he kind of leads with that he's the Bitcoin influencer's influencer. So uh, without uh, adding anything else, welcome to the show, Vlad. We're very glad to have you. I like that description. I don't think there's anything left to add to it. Okay, well, I'm glad I did some justice there. I would like to talk about the super cycle, but that's not why we're here today. Very important. Um, yeah, about the super cycle, if you want to contribute to my super fund, I have an MWeb address. You can add that in the description. Which is terrific, and I can add an MWeb address for you in the description. Um, so check the show, the show notes, folks. Um, so thanks for joining today. It's been a labor kind of getting you here. I know you were traveling recently. We're in two different time zones in terms of planet Earth. Um, I was ill. We've got some personal stuff going on here at the house. You, again, were speaking at events and traveling. So really glad we're able to sit down today. And I think this will be kind of a different episode um, for our folks here at 84 million. Um, before we get into the topic, you were recently at the Proof of Work Summit in Prague. Uh, how was your experience as a speaker, as an attendee? Tell me about it. It was actually nice because I stepped out of the usual echo chamber and I was able to interact with people who build and develop stuff, not necessarily Bitcoin only, but also for Litecoin and for Ethereum Classic. I spoke with miners. There were plenty of them there. And I spoke with three guys who are right now working on a new Litecoin ASIC that can be integrated in your computer case. So it doesn't have that ASIC format that we have been used to from Bitmain or whatever. It's something that you can integrate in your gaming rig and you can mine while you use your computer, which I, I think is pretty cool. There were a lot of people from the Litecoin Foundation that I met for the first time. And I'm happy I did, you know, I met them five, six years ago almost. And when you think about it, it's kind of cool that you get to meet these people. I was a bit sorry that Charlie could not show up and yeah. he held his presentation remotely. I was looking forward to only shaking his hand because yeah. it was cool for him to acknowledge my existence back in December of 2017 when he added me to the Litecoin Slack. It's an evolving space and I think I like Litecoin a lot more since you guys added the Mimblewimble extension block as this was a Bitcoin proposal from 2015, 2016 by Blockstream researcher Andrew Polstra. Hmm. And it never went anywhere uh, until you picked up David, who was working on Grid++, and he built this implementation for the extension block. I think it's super cool. 
And the fact that it did not break yet is proof that it's pretty well engineered and can be an alternative to both scaling and increasing the privacy in Bitcoin. Yeah, here, here. Yeah, I saw that Charlie uh, did come in remotely, I believe. Um, David Schwartz also didn't make it. Uh, but Loshan was there and uh, Kerry Washington was there and Alan Austin was there and perhaps some some others. Um, but I know that you had Charlie Lee on your show, the Bitcoin Takeover podcast, at least twice, because I think I hunted them down and listened to them in the, in the recent months. By the way, I love your show. Yeah, thank you. So about <laughs> Charlie, I, I tried to have him the first time uh, during the Christmas of 2020, I think. And it was a season that was dedicated to talking with Bitcoin people without actually talking about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. In the case of Charlie, it was interesting to talk about video games as he seems to be a big fan. He went to university to study computer science and he was a big fan of graphic engines and all of that stuff. And it seems like he was also a big gamer in the 90s. He's a big fan of Dark Forces, which was a first-person shooter from the 90s. Kind of a Doom clone, but themed around Star Wars. And nowadays, he seems to be an Xbox guy, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. That... But the second time I had him, it was about MWeb and explaining why this is groundbreaking. And it's uncharted territory. No other coin has done this. And I have a lot of respect for this type of bold experimentation as Litecoin has faced some consequences for adding privacy. There were a bunch of Korean exchanges that yes. delisted Litecoin. Mm -hmm. And even today, if you look at the state of adoption, you don't see ATMs, for example, accepting MWeb addresses, which I think is an issue. But if you peg out from MWeb, you can make that sort of payment directly to an LTC1 address or an L address or whatever. So you can do that and it grants you pretty good privacy. Yeah. Today, I, I don't want to brag or anything, but today I bought the new Trezor. What's it called? The third iteration is all I know. I think I lost your audio. Trezor safe free. I don't know why or, I was muted. Back. I, I, yeah, I think back. Kype mutes me when I switch from a window to the other. Oh, okay. Anyway, it's called Trezor Save Free. I bought it with Litecoin because I had some leftover from 2017, which I did not sell. And it was also pegged into, I was about to say sidechain, but no, it's the extension block. So the fact that it went from the extension block to the main chain was a transaction that was a lot more private and has no actual history. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool from a privacy point of view, even though the order was not KYC free. So I'm going to have the devices delivered to my place. Right. So it's kind of pointless to care about privacy in this situation. But in my case, it's kind of cool. You know, I was I... able to do this and I was able to also follow the advice of monetary maximalists who say never spend your Bitcoin. I spent some Litecoin. <laughs> So they're okay with spending Litecoin and growing the network activity in Litecoin. I like that. Um, yeah, I think it's neat what MWeb is doing in, in, in that, uh, one, it does offer that optional privacy, but that, yeah, it, you can peg out to any Litecoin address. And I believe that's a correct statement. Um, 
So like, for example, ordinals on Bitcoin, of course, ordinals are also on Litecoin, but you can have the origin fund if you use one of the third party ordinal creators to peg out from MWeb on Litecoin and fund your ordinal basically anonymously, which I think is also pretty neat. You can't trace it behind that unless you dive into MWeb, but we've done some Twitter tests to see if somebody can crack that. Some claimed, I think it was untraceable, claimed he could, but he didn't really do it. Uh, <laughs> and the longer you keep it in there, the better. But anyway, I think it's neat. But uh, it sounds like you had a pretty good experience at the Proof of Work Summit. I enjoyed watching your presentation. Um, and in terms of, I, I think you're referring to Locotech. Was it Ben from Locotech? The Doge yep. and yep. Litecoin's yeah, yeah. I've been in communication with him and I hope to have him on the show too. But I don't believe he presented there. I was hoping to watch a presentation about his uh, product. Um, but yeah, that's pretty exciting stuff. But again, we digress. Um, let's see. Um, he was at his booth most of the time. I don't think he was on stage. Maybe he was for a panel for I think about panel. 30 minutes. Yeah, I think a panel. We hope to have him soon. Um, how was the attendance? It didn't look like a lot of folks were there in terms of what I could see on the, the web view. No, but that's what makes it nice, you know, when you have <laughs> only the enthusiasts, the people who actually care about the tech and yeah. are there to have some hardcore conversations about what's going on. And I was happy to listen to people like Brian Bishop, who spoke about his blockchain-less digital currency, which is an interesting proposal. Interesting. And there was also Dr. Maxim Orlovsky, who is the creator of RGB, who came up with a new way to scale Bitcoin. I think it's called Prime, and he introduced it at the Proof of Work Summit. There was a lot of stuff that's exciting. There was also some regulation talk, which I didn't find particularly interesting. Mm. But what I liked the most about the Proof of Work Summit, and I got to give a lot of credit to Bob Summerwell, who is the organizer, there was no shilling. There was no talk about price. There was nothing that would make you FOMO into anything. It was very realistic talk about the tech. And that's something I can very much respect. And that's something that even at Bitcoin conferences is forgotten, especially in the US where you have the oh large boy. Miami oh. Miami conference where they have a panel <laughs> that's dedicated to opinions on when we're going to the moon. Like, when are we going to go to 100K? And everyone speculates. They're like, ah, yeah. probably in three months. Oh, that's bearish. You're supposed to say that tomorrow. Oh, boy. Yeah, Never mind. And it's also... The... I'm happy there was not any of that. I, I would agree with you. It sounds much more reasonable. And I remember, uh, was it 22 when Ron Paul was the headline speaker, who's like the king of sound money in the traditional world. And there was like so many people talking during his presentation. It's like nobody was even listening to this guy. And I'm like, wow, the space has changed from the early libertarian folks to whatever it's become <laughs> because they don't even know who's speaking with them in the room. Again, we don't have gods among us, but Ron Paul's a pretty significant guy in terms of monetary competition, ending the Fed, all these other ideas that were so um, foundational, at least in a, in a component of, of cryptocurrencies in the early days. That's how I found out through the Ron Paul campaign, actually, uh, some folks um, with him. So anyway, it's just interesting to see. I know he was at the Litecoin Summit 2019, but uh, I think the Litecoiners in that Bitcoin community is uh, very different, too. But uh yeah, that, that's a crazy place, uh, Miami. I don't know. But I, I, I didn't go that year. I had tickets and I didn't go. So anyway, um, 
I like that you recognize Litecoin in your talk. Um, again, you're, I think you're a friend of Litecoin. We'll, we'll, we'll discover that. If somebody, if somebody already knows you, they know this. But for those who don't know or haven't heard you yet, and maybe you're only seeing and hearing you for the first time on this show, I think they'll discover that you're very friendly towards Litecoin, which is, which is, which is super, despite being a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, so you recognize Litecoin several times in your talk. Charlie Lee's SegWit bounty, you kind of shouted out to that. Litecoin has a valuable testnet for Bitcoin. I believe you also mentioned that you helped out TestMWeb, uh, which I was aware of on kind of the Twitterverse at the time when that was happening. Um, oh, you I, did the t-shirt with the torch, right? The torch, but not the test. But yes, we, we did do the t-shirt with the torch. Um, we went up to 30 and then it just, it's still moving, but you know, we don't have any active torch bearers that are saying, hey, who's going to take this next? It does need to move. So if you're listening to this and haven't had the MWeb torch, it's still going, find it, hashtag MWeb torch and move it um, because that thing shouldn't be stopping. But yes, I did do the t-shirt, which by the way, I, I, I hope <laughs> you're not too penalized when it arrives in the mail. Um, I did not consider the uh, the taxation. Yeah, I'm going to pay custom tax 19% of whatever you aye, declare to be the value. Aye. And if you said it's like 50 bucks, that means I'm going to pay about 10 bucks. I went on the face value of the product. I think some other things got snuck in, smaller items that may have not been declared, but overall it was an honest uh, paperwork. <laughs> but I don't, you're our first uh, mail, mailer to uh, Romania. So uh, it's a new milestone for 84 million shop. We do mostly US. We've done a few around the globe, but never to Romania. Um, There's also something to be mentioned that tomorrow, Friday the 13th, is Litecoin's 12th anniversary. Yes, it is. So it's a pretty big deal. The fact that a coin has been around for such a long time, it was dismissed and called a shitcoin many times, mm -hmm. but it survived. And in my book, the fact that it's proof of work, has a fair distribution, didn't have any pre-mine, has a founder who is trying to not get too involved and sold his coins. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty nice. At the same time, it still has more centralization issues than Bitcoin. But it also has its advantages for some practical use cases. For example, if you're at an ATM mm -hmm. and you need to get a fast confirmation to get your cash out, I think that's a pretty good use case to use Litecoin. Because, of course, you can use Lightning Network if that's available, but not all ATMs have support for the Lightning Network. So if you want to get that quick confirmation, it's good to use Litecoin and then you can swap it for Bitcoin if you want. Do you have a lot of ATMs around where you're living or just generally in the European countries? Yeah, That's cool. for some reason, and I did not understand this for a while, but Romania is in the top 10 countries with most Bitcoin ATMs in the world. Huh? And I was not sure why, because I don't see too many people using them. But I did find out that there are a lot of remittances. There are people working abroad. We have about 3 million Romanians working in other countries. Yeah. And when they send money home, they would rather not use Western Union or MoneyGram or something that's going to rip them off. Yeah. They would rather use Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever to have a smaller transaction fee and also quicker settlement. So their family members don't have to wait for a few days or have to wait in line at offices. They just go to an ATM, they scan a code or something and they get their cash out. Yeah. You don't even have to think about how to use Bitcoin. 
That's excellent. And uh, we have a pretty good amount in Texas. Um, I don't know where we're ranked um, in terms of other states. Um, there are differences between the states. It's not all one, but you know there is uh, a lot of similarity despite independence of states. Uh, but I know Texas has quite a few. I know our supermarkets have um, a few different varieties and it's been nice to see those over the past few years. Some of the older ones um, aren't around anymore because I think originally we used to just see them at little like 7-Eleven and little mini marts. Um, some of those aren't there anymore because I think they're privately, privately held. But the landscape's changing, but it's yes, Litecoin is liquid. And I think that's a, that's a big um, advantage to wanting to get involved in it because you actually have access to it. And it is, again, you can transfer your fiat into Litecoin and vice versa. But um, back to where I was kind of headed with the question, you've done a lot of work with Litecoin. You've recognized Litecoin. Um, however, you are a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, as a Bitcoin maximalist, you accept the value and proposition of Litecoin. Uh, this comes as a surprise, I think, because so many consider Bitcoin maximalists to be anything other to be against anything other than Bitcoin. Um, so maybe can you differentiate terms for us, Bitcoin maximalist versus maybe Bitcoin only, or what you're calling a Bitcoin conservative? Look, I believe that Bitcoin is the only project that can survive massive government crackdowns, and if we're going to have to have that fight. Bitcoin is our best bet. But on the long term, we need some experimentation to be able to scale Bitcoin, to make Bitcoin more private, to enable it to become more resistant. But how are we going to have that experimentation? The maximalist toxic type of answer is to use the testnet. But that's what developers use, and they are not aware of the mistakes that regular users can make. And not all types of code bases are compatible with the Bitcoin testnet or the Signet. Sometimes you diverge so much that you need an entirely new network for that. And to some extent, it's useful to have experimentation with different types of cryptography or features on altcoins. And you can see if they get any market demand and if they get traction and if the code can be refined enough for it to end up in Bitcoin. I think that was the case with SegWit, for example, even if it was developed for Bitcoin, there was very little trust in it. And there were two coins, as far as I'm aware, that were willing to test it. The second one was Litecoin. The first one was Coin. I'm not sure if anyone remembers that. I have not heard that. <laughs> Tell us about anyway, it. Anyway, Coin is a textbook shitcoin. It went away. Nobody's using it anymore. Yeah. But Litecoin was the one that had most users, the largest market cap. Charlie Lee set up basically a vault with this SegWit address and about a million dollars in Litecoin inside and invited everyone who said that SegWit was broken to take that money, basically. If they can break it, then okay, go ahead, take it. To this day, I think the money is still there. It hasn't moved, which proves that the security works. And this contribution by Litecoin basically sped up the adoption of SegWit on Bitcoin as the developers noticed that it's working and it's not broken and the concerns that were presented about it are not legitimate. So the Lightning Network was also first used on Litecoin and that's a little known historic fact. With two people. The first mainnet transaction mainnet 
yeah, that there was also lightning on testnet, but you know, li lightning is a second layer. Mm -hmm. But the the first time it was used with actual money that has monetary value was on Litecoin, and that was in early 2017. And that was and with it, Charlie it, Lee and. Um... Our friend at Strike, Jack Mallers, I believe, if I remember some of the old tweets and screenshots. Probably. Yeah. I'm not sure about the details of that transaction, but... Switzerland and San Francisco. It's a pretty big deal. And experimentation is useful. And right now what Litecoin is doing with Mimblewimble extension block is something that I very much appreciate and like, as it adds both privacy and scalability. And... For a while, you know, I was at the Litecoin Foundation doing volunteering. I never got paid anything for my work. It was just a way for me to try afterwards to get a better job. And I ended up writing, becoming a journalist in the space. Terrific. Yeah. And at the time, I thought there wasn't much happening in Litecoin. There were some rug pulls. I don't know how I should present them as. There was the LightPay situation and some sort of debit card that failed. Mm. I don't know, 2018, early 2018 was a very strange time when on one hand, there was a lot of hope for adoption. And on the other hand, there were lots of scammers looming around the Slack channel trying to present some sort of revolutionary, but not very revolutionary, in fact, way to use Litecoin. And after that, I wrote, I think I spent the next six months writing articles for the newsletters and also wrote for the Light Life magazine, which was a community project. Not sure if anyone remembers that, but it was kind of a big deal in its day. And then I realized there's not much left for me to do. After a while, you kind of exhaust the topics and you see that there's not much development going on. There are not too many plans except for increasing the number of payments and there wasn't anything that I could do. So I kind of moved on and thought, okay, this project is kind of boring. There's not much going on. There are more proposals in Bitcoin, but after MWeb and while it was happening, I got a lot more excited because Mimblewimble is an important cryptographic breakthrough and it's probably the best innovation in the blockchain space that we've had in years. Mm as it, it's scalable and it provides a degree of privacy. That privacy is not bulletproof yet. It's not on the same level as Monero or Zcash, but it takes up a lot less block space and it fits a, a lot more transactions within a limited storage. So that's a pretty big deal. And what it does basically is to prune, which means to remove the transactions in between so that you only have the first and the last transaction in the block, which designate how much money has been moved to prevent random inflation from happening, to be able to verify that everything was correct. So it's pretty cool in what it does. And Litecoin has been the first major coin to integrate this feature with an extension block. So right now, I'm a big fan of this. I'm not sure if it will get enough traction in Bitcoin. But I think that it's really cool to have a coin that has a lot of adoption at merchants and ATMs have a privacy feature as you don't find Monero too often. And I don't think you find Zcash, but there's nothing that stops you from sending from your MWeb address 
into regular Litecoin addresses and having much better privacy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, MWeb's been terrific. Uh, in fact, David Burkett was our first guest who kind of launched this podcast, which uh, we weren't planning on, uh, but we wanted to talk to him. And uh, he's a friend and he's done a lot of good work for Litecoin. So I was going to say, what what is the what is your opinion of, of Bitcoin adopting something similar? Because again, Litecoin has been a test net for Bitcoin, and uh, this could be a proof um, of, of uh, function and work that could be carried over. But it doesn't sound like you're confident at this stage they're planning to do that. No, I'm not. I've kind of lost my faith. I remember even talking with Paul Stortz, who told me that Michael Saylor is against drive chains for the simple reason that they add privacy through a Zcash sidechain. And these banker types are very much against privacy and they want to have everything auditable on chain. So it's tough. It's going to be a much harder battle since Bitcoin is not proof of stake. So the community can still decide to do something. Yeah. But when there's a lot of money invested in the project, people have to choose between principles and the mission of the project and the number go up function. Mm -hmm. And when they have to choose between their own wealth, which I guess they can delay their own gratification for a few years and wait until the price comes back at the expense of adding a privacy feature. But I'm not sure if that's a popular opinion. Right now in Bitcoin, too many people are waiting for 100K and they seem to be mesmerized with any price theory, which is a bit disappointing for me, but they're just... To me, they're not the significant crowd. I don't pay much attention to them. I, I find them kind of funny. And I try to look for developers and people who build stuff in the space. And if you look at the Bitcoin Takeover podcast, you're going to see that I've never had the stock to flow guy because I always thought that it's stupid to assume that demand for anything is constant or increasing over time. That's even if you look at from an Austrian economics point of view, mm -hmm. it's not praxeologically correct. And I've never had Michael Saylor on my podcast, which was on purpose because I realized, okay, this guy basically bought his own seat at the table. Less than one year after he got into Bitcoin, he was the headliner of the Miami conference. Sure. And it made me wonder how, you know, there was Adam Back, there was Nick Sabo who are also speaking there. But somehow this guy is the headliner and he gets most attention, most amount of applauses. I don't know. It's very strange to me. Something changed in the culture when he entered. He might be the CIA if I'm being conspirational, mm -hmm. but it is what it is. Bitcoin is for everyone who can afford to pay the fees. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I just have to go with the flow and figure out how we can still keep the cypherpunk spirit alive. And I wanted to talk to you about that and actually have that at the end of my notes. We typically are not always linear with these things. Um, you mentioned about the ossification of Bitcoin and there's a certain pool within the community. Perhaps Sailor is one of them. I would think he is that wants to keep Bitcoin exactly as is gold period, end of story versus the drive change and these other things that are, are being proposed or have been proposed over the years, which to be honest, you know much more about those than, than I do. Um, and we may be able to talk about those uh, in the next part of our segment. Um, but this ossification of Bitcoin actually helping governments, I hadn't thought of that before, but you made a statement in your recent talk. And I think there's something to that. 
can you can you explain how the those in the Bitcoin community with very loud voices who want to ossify Bitcoin as is, how are they helping governments? Well, basically, you have these firms such as Chainalysis, and I can name a, a few more of them, but that would be a waste of time. They figured out how Bitcoin works and governments contract these firms to get information about transactions. Governments also have control over the on-ramps and the off-ramps. So when you buy Bitcoin from an exchange where you sign up with your real name, there's a firm that's employed by the exchange which keeps track of your coins at least six steps, if I'm not mistaken. So it's problematic that they want to see how you're spending your own money and they want to know so much because they, they don't do this with your credit card or your government money, but they do this with the non-governmental money, which they're trying to control. And I think at this point, Bitcoin is not a mystery to anyone in government. They know how it works. They understand who's using it and for which purpose. And that can be potentially dangerous. And I have this conversation a lot with people who say, yeah, but they can't stop me from spending my Bitcoin because it's permissionless, right? It's a digital global network that nobody can stop. Without KYC of course, programs, of course. Nobody can stop you from sending a transaction, mm -hmm. but the fact that they know who you are means that they can stop you. So it's kind of pointless. You're going to prison probably in some parts of the world for making a transaction. And you're going to basically say, yeah, but Bitcoin succeeded because the transaction went through. Okay, but what's important here? Your own liberty or the fact that the network works as designed? You're going to say, yeah, but Bitcoin doesn't care. Well, Bitcoin is made to be used by human beings and human beings have specific needs that need to be fulfilled. And this isn't only about privacy per se, it's also about fungibility, which is the concept that one coin is equal to any other of its kind. If you have one dollar that was owned by Leonardo DiCaprio and another dollar that was owned by some hot dog seller on the street, they have the same value. It doesn't matter to whom it belonged in the past. But in the case of Bitcoin, you can actually, the ordinalist guy actually made a case out of what he calls rare sets, where you have these coins belonging to certain addresses or being mined at certain points, which supposedly are more valuable than others. It's kind of silly, and this should not be the case. When ordinals first came out and many of my fellow maximalists were complaining and felt like, oh no, this is an attack on Bitcoin, my response was, and you can look it up, the easy solution to fix this is to add privacy, mm -hmm. because if you have on-chain privacy, you're not going to be able to have ordinals anymore. They're, they're pointless. You can't verify that it comes from that source, which means that it's over. You're going to have Bitcoin being used as digital cash. And now I sound like a Monero shill, but I'm, <laughs> while I understand the value proposition of Monero, I don't think it's scalable enough. And it's not adopted enough and it's not going to be adopted. Maybe that the solution for freedom fighters or someone who goes against the government is to use Monero on top of Tor. And that's useful, you know, to use some computing cycles, mine a few coins and then make a payments on the other side of the world in a way that can be traced. That's useful, but it comes with its own trade-offs because it's not scalable. 
it's more centralized in development and it it will always have this edge case and it's going to be harder to get adoption with it in the case of bitcoin if you add some optional privacy right now we have the coin joints which are pretty good but they still don't conceal the amounts and that can be problematic well th there's a lot still to be done and what i like about bitcoin privacy is that it's being implemented in a way that doesn't require permission we didn't need soft forks or whatever to be able to add some features to create some cool mechanisms that add some privacy but if we ever come to the conclusion that privacy is useful i, I think we should look into mimblewimble or the stuff that can be added to sidechains such as a zcash sidechain or a monero sidechain anything that can make the currency more fungible and less susceptible to government capture because we have been living through very peaceful times and governments didn't care much about bitcoin litecoin or dogecoin or ethereum or whatever because they figured out how to tax gains that were made on them they're like yeah i don't care you can mine it you can spend it you can buy it sell it do whatever but i'm gonna collect my part you give me my toll you give me my here in Romania it's 10 percent and it's very convenient for them it's free money so they're like yeah we're, we're gonna collect taxes out of it but if it becomes a real threat or they consider it as such they can I guess take this loss at the expense of maybe driving away some businesses from the country but they're also gonna have an easier time controlling the supply of and the circulation of their own national currency. So it's delicate. And just because we have been living through very peaceful times doesn't mean that it will always be like this. And we should not care about privacy at all. Yeah, yeah, that's <clears throat> that's good. I wanted to touch on that. I think that was a pretty expressive uh, response to the ossification leading to how, how governments are involved with these cryptocurrencies. And we didn't even get into CBDCs and all the other sort of things that could be coming on the horizon. Um, I did want to look at your magazine and this relates, but I was, I don't know how many you've sent these, um, but I'm glad to be an owner of uh, BTC TKVR number three. And I think you've done several of these. Um, in fact, I want to say I found something where you track them and there's like a each issue and how many were printed and things, which I thought was neat, but uh, really glad to have received this. Thanks for saying, sending this out to me. Um, I wanted to look at the third, I'm sorry, the uh, sixth uh, chapter here. So this basically, I guess the format of this one is you're, you're literally breaking fear, uncertainty, doubt, or FUD uh, through chat GPT prompts. Like, I guess you queried chat GPT, chat GPT. It gave you the top 10 reasons why Bitcoin's not going to be around and you basically debunked all of them. Uh, I liked um, one, I just personally love noir generally. So I like the aesthetic of all of these chapters, but especially this one. Uh, but this kind of relates to some of the things we were talking about too. This says breaking chat GPT's Bitcoin FUD number six, limited use cases. It also talks about the ossification of Bitcoin here, or at least in, in part. And you retort, of course, uh, to that. But I wanted to talk about what I think is a corruption of, of Austrianism. Okay. And, and, and you touch on that a little bit in this chapter. 
Um, it says there's a conservative school of thought, mostly dominated by Austrian economists who argue that Bitcoin doesn't need any of these cases because the sound money should be basic by design. They tend to believe that the imminent collapse of fiat money will make every person on planet Earth buy Bitcoin and denominate all goods and services in the verifiably scarce BTC. And you go on. Um, I think this is important, too, because this is, again, how things in the community or the communities within Bitcoin are morphing. Um, again, you had kind of a sound money emphasis in the beginning. I think you still believe in sound money. I believe in sound money. Char Charlie Lee said he wanted to add MWeb to make Litecoin a more sound form of money. And Seif, whatever we think of the gentleman, admitted that Bitcoin <laughs> in, in his book uh, is not as fungible as we'd like with KYC and these things that they're trying to do and differentiating uh, different components of Bitcoin against other components of Bitcoin, which I don't agree with, but I can see how people want to argue that way. So I get what the, what the Austrians are saying in terms of we, we want sound money um, and we want fungibility, but it's also like a straitjacket. And that's where I think you have an, an argument with, again, what you'd say, Bitcoiners are not Austrians, they're cypherpunks. Maybe they're both. But I think the Austrian school has been somewhat distorted. And even the top voices, whether it's Seif um, or some of the other louder Bitcoiners on crypto Twitter or whatever, to me, it's not really Austrianism because Austrianism is free markets, competition, choice. And if Bitcoin, and if we do become a Bitcoin only world and it's baked in, it means that we have chosen that path and it's a natural monopoly versus a coercive monopoly, right? Um, so I just don't see them being consistent with the, you mentioned Hayek, or you could look at uh, Mises or some of the more recent um, uh, scholars within, the, within the, the Austrian school, Rothbard or whatever. Typically, it's always competition. And it sounds like the Bitcoin only folks, that variety of, of strict conservative Austrian doesn't seem like competition at all, whether in Bitcoin alone or with other cryptocurrencies. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Austrianism and your argument with it and the truths that it also may uh, 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 point out as well in terms of economics? Yeah, I think this whole monetary maximalist ideology in Bitcoin was constructed from pieces that were taken from various sources. For example, there is that Gresham's Law, mm -hmm. which says that good money drives out the bad, bad. money. Mm -hmm. But it's an interpretation by Taleb, which was adapted by people like Seyfedin and Jimmy Song to make sense in the context of Bitcoin. But it doesn't make much sense because they're basically pushing for you to buy Bitcoin, never touch it, never spend it, never use it for anything and use your credit card for payments. And that's a bit perverse in the sense that when you think about it, now we have the Lightning Network, so you have no excuse in Bitcoin to be a hardcore hodler because mm -hmm. you're saying that you're paying high fees or it, you're affecting the scalability of the network or whatever. And you're only increasing the demand for the fiat currency. And to a degree, it doesn't matter how much they're printing as long as there is demand for it, as long as there is daily use of it. The point of Bitcoin is to opt out and... I think some of the early adopters were very much libertarian-minded and were maybe protesters from 
the one percent, 99% protests on Wall Street, oh, which they happened were. in absolutely they were 2011, 2012. Yep. They were supporters of the Ron Paul campaign. Yep. And they were readers of Hayek and Mises and all of these Austrian economists who speak about competition on a free market. And most importantly, competition between private currencies, Yes. which is supposed to be a big part of a free market economy. But when you look at the narrow version of this, which has been adapted for Bitcoin, mm -hmm. you can poke many holes in it. And it doesn't make much sense. They're no. trying to present this narrative for the single reason that they're establishing a lifestyle. I, I think that's it. They're more like lifestyle influencers who are telling you just like guys like Andrew Tate or what's the other one? Dan Bilzerian. They're telling you how to live your life in a way that's also profitable for them. Mm -hmm. And if you look at their personal affiliations, they're most likely under the paycheck of some exchange, which makes a lot of money in the status quo. And th that's also a big issue. If you look at all the influencers that are paid by Kraken or another big one is Bitfinex. Mm -hmm. Bitfinex is even financing some of Blockstream's development. Wow. So some developers are direct directly under the paycheck of Bitfinex. And what does Bitfinex do? They also finance Polygon on Ethereum, which is a layer two. And they have the Tether situation. So they, they issued USDT, which was first created on Bitcoin nine years ago mm -hmm. on the Omni layer. Yep. And existed on Bitcoin until 2018 or something when they decided to move to Ethereum. And now a lot of, I, I think... On a daily basis, the volume of Tether exceeds the volume of Bitcoin. And a lot of people around the world need stable coins, which is basically dollarization without the Central Bank of the United States and without physical cash. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's pretty cypherpunk when you think about it. It adheres to what you read in cypherpunk literature with people using digital money that cannot be seized by the government but it's also not bitcoin mm. and it makes you wonder what the hell are we even doing here since there's so much demand for these stable coins and in third world countries you have companies such as binance and bitfinex that own most of the currency that's being transacted and they're responsible for issuing and redeeming for real cash. It's a problem. So these guys are very much ignorant of these facts and they're most likely under the paycheck of these exchanges, but they choose to present this very narrow and super positive narrative of what Bitcoin is and how it helps the world. Mm -hmm. It's overly optimistic. It's super dismissive of any type of experimentation as if yeah. Bitcoin is a complete project that should not receive any sort of improvements in the future. Yeah. It's paradoxical when they agree on something, as was the case with the Lightning Network, as was the case with Taproot. Like, they did not object to these changes only on the basis of trust. They trusted that the developers working on it have a good reputation, and therefore they're doing what is best for Bitcoin. I'm not sure if this is a very efficient or scalable way to take care to maintain of the Bitcoin code base. 
but it's certainly interesting to see how there was a changing of the guards used to have people maybe in 2015 2014 it was all about gavin and recent and roger oh, beer yes, they, yes. they were the most prominent feature prominent figures then you had people like jimmy song and tone vase and Saifedean, who became the most prominent figures. Trace Mayer was around too. He hasn't said anything in a few years now. Trace Mayer read too much to be an absolutist. I know he was very Bitcoin reasonable only. and he, he, he liked Litecoin. Uh, but I think he was a more accurate snapshot of actual Austrianism versus this tweaked one that seems to have been distorted. Yeah, but where I was getting with this is that they have all been replaced during the previous cycle by Michael Saylor, yeah. who got bigger than all of them, amassed this huge following, and I'm afraid he's in control of the narrative of what Bitcoin is. It can become dangerous when someone describes what a computer network is and how it should be used, as it's very limiting in terms of imagination and in yeah. terms of usefulness. <laughs> Because these people don't like privacy, they don't like features such as ordinals, they don't like the fact that you can... So there's Counterparty, right? Which is a Bitcoin layer created in January of 2014. And that one can actually help you issue shares to your own company in a decentralized way. And Bitcoin, secured by the Bitcoin miners. And you have this token, you distribute it to your investors, and that's like something that shows that they are in possession of those shares. It's not legally binding, which is why some people would call it a scam. Mm -hmm. But since when did Bitcoin become the legally compliant chain, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How well, did we end up here? That's an interesting uh, question. And it definitely has been much more domesticated. Because um, of course, in the early days of, you know, it was, it was the enemy of governments, they want to make example, examples of people who are using it. And and now it's like, as long as we can domesticate the thing, then we'll promote it, you know, and some people make a lot of money off of that. Um, so it is, it seems to be part of the way things are going, at least today. Um, and again, I think things are mostly peaceful in the world, generally, granted, there's some pretty <laughs> terrible things happening in the Middle East right now. But um, generally, uh, the world is at peace. And maybe we don't need these prospects as much as we may in some other environment in which maybe purism will come back, privacy will come back, um, independent money will come back versus let's let's play in an alternate version of the stock market uh, with number go up and the casino of things with crypto. Um, very interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I just wanted to touch on that Austrian and, and, and uh, the limitations that are happening in, in that uh, in some of Bitcoin and the development, some things that are holding it back. And I think you, you discussed that well. Uh, we can shift to the topic of the show. So initially when you and I uh, DM'd on, online, uh, we talked about you can't understand Litecoin without understanding Bitcoin first. Of course, we've already talked about Bitcoin for quite some time on this uh, episode so far, um, but I wanted to hear it from you. Um, you know, basically it's impossible to understand Litecoin without studying Bitcoin first. So the floor is yours. Um, Take your time, rant. This is what we want to hear. So just tell us about this topic. I don't. My my questions cease here until the FAQ afterwards. Yep. Basically, Litecoin was created in 2011. It's gonna turn 12 years old tomorrow. So I'm not sure when you're gonna publish this, mm -hmm. but this is an important fact to 
pinpoint the moment in time when we are making these statements. Mm-hmm. And it's a carbon copy of the Bitcoin code base with some slight modifications. It's part of that generation of altcoins that we're experimenting with faster block times, maybe a larger supply and a different mining algorithm. I think the the two most important components of Litecoin that made it survive as opposed to Peercoin, Feathercoin, and all the others that were part of the same generation is that first of all, it had a fair launch. Nobody had any sort of pre-mine. There was sort of an enthusiastic community on the Bitcoin talk forums that started mining since day one. And also, it has a different hashing algorithm, right? Which is more memory intensive. It's the script one with a Y. So it's very different from Bitcoin. It cannot be 51% attacked by the Bitcoin miners. And it has an existence of its own. Some will argue that it's an inflation to the 21 million coins of Bitcoin. And you can agree with this as long as there is no future to the project and it's pure speculation. But it's been around for 12 years. And I think it's a pretty good sign and a big deal. Not many coins live for such a long time. And there is that whole Lindy effect argument that the longer something stays around, the longer it might be around. So in a sense, Litecoin is the most resilient and the most successful coin of its generation. And it was also able to integrate Dogecoin or Dogecoin or whatever you call it Correct. as part of its merge mining setup, which means that the miners also collect fees from Doge transactions. And right now, Doge, thanks to Elon Musk, is a bigger deal than Litecoin, which is pretty ironic. <laughs> but basically, Litecoin functions on the principles that were created by Satoshi Nakamoto and some of the developers that came later. It's not as well funded in the sense that there's not as much VC money pouring into the project. You don't have the same amounts of proposals being made and the updates to the Litecoin core or the light wallets that you use on your phone are mostly forks of something that's already happening on Bitcoin. But this was only the case until Litecoin decided to diverge. And I think what you're doing today with the Mimblewimble extension block, which was also a Bitcoin proposal a few years ago, is very important for pushing innovation forward and for also making privacy more of a general practice as opposed to the exception to the rule. You can use privacy for whatever reason. It doesn't mean that you're a criminal or that you have something dubious to hide. It's just that you want to not reveal to the rest of the network because it's super Orwellian, you know, as much as I love Bitcoin, if we end up in a situation where we must identify all of our addresses and we share them with everyone else, knowing how much money your neighbor has or how much money someone on the other side of town has is dangerous. Absolutely. It's not only about the government coming for you. It's also about people who might have the right incentive for the right amount of money to hunt you down and maybe kidnap your children or whatever and make you pay a bounty. It it leads to all sorts of negative situations which concern human nature much more than the form of money that people are using. So I like what Litecoin is doing. 
but we also have to acknowledge that it's not very different from Bitcoin, which in its early days was, you know, it, it, you could accuse it of being a copy-paste project with not, not much merit to it. But the way in which it was handled in the subsequent years is the reason why it's more special today and why it has more value. And it's the most valuable incentivized testnet for Bitcoin. If there's anything super interesting that comes to Bitcoin, Litecoin is going to provide a way to test it with proper incentives with a coin that has market value. And this risk can also turn into a reward for the users if that use case that they're testing ends up getting a lot of traction and it ends up in new a new market developing around it, it can be beneficial for the Litecoin holders. If it ends up in Bitcoin, there's also the risk that the culture around Bitcoiners is not going to embrace it. And this was a concern also for the Lightning Network in 2019 when I was re recording some podcast episodes. We basically realized, okay, Light Lightning Network is coming and it's pretty robust, but it seems like the culture doesn't really support it because people are still in the HODL mindset. They're like, why would I want to spend my Bitcoin? Well, because it's money. And unless you create demand for it and you support the merchant or the payments processor, when you want to finally buy something with your Bitcoin, maybe in a few years or maybe with your kids, they're not going to find as many places where they can use it. Mm. So there has to be a balance between holding and spending. And in Bitcoin, for some reason, people still believe that if they spend it, they're going to have their pizza event. They're going to be just like Laszlo Haniets, hmm. who in the year of 2010 bought two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin, if I'm not mistaken. Each, right? It, 10 and 10, was it 20,000? I'm not 100% okay. sure. You Either can way, fact a lot check of me on that one. <laughs> My point yeah. is that too many people believe that they're going to have a similar situation because Bitcoin is going to be the global currency and everyone's going to use it. And... I don't know, maybe that I'm being bearish, but I'm also supporting businesses. Today I bought the new Trezor using Litecoin and I'm supporting the economy. Maybe I should have used Bitcoin, but I I felt like I should use Litecoin because I'm going to get a faster confirmation and that was FOMOing and, and I had some Litecoin <laughs> in my MWeb address. I was like, ah, let's do this. It's also pretty private, yeah. the way that I'm doing it. They're not going to know where the funds come from, except for this peg out that they're seeing from the extension block. It's pretty cool. But you should also study Bitcoin, because that's where most of the money is. That's where you find all of the interesting proposals. And some of them might also come to Litecoin. And if you want to find out more about how to defend Bitcoin and Litecoin, you can check out my... BTCTKVR, which stands for Bitcoin Takeover Magazine. It's an open source project, which means that you can download this for free in digital format. You can print your own copy, you can sell it, you can modify it. I don't care. It's published under the Creative Commons Zero license. So you can do anything you want with it. If you want to buy a physical copy and you don't have time for digital files and whatever, you can find it on the Ellen Bits shop and it's 10 British pounds. As far as I know, there are no custom taxes for deliveries from the UK to the US. 
But if you're in Europe, check out shopinbit.com, which is like the Amazon of Bitcoin purchases. You're also going to find a copy of my magazine there. And I'm done shilling. If you want to buy it and support my work, <laughs> you can do it. It's a quality, it's a quality but magazine. Very beautiful. My, my purpose is to share knowledge and make people read it. And that's why I open sourced it. So if you have a phone or a tablet or a computer screen, you can read all of its contents free of charge. You don't owe me anything. If you want to support my work and also want to have a nice collectible in your bookshelf, Maybe you can also order a physical copy. I think that the prints are very nice and you can attest to that. It's high, yeah, high quality nice. paper. It's very nice. Yeah. And the aesthetic is great, which I wanted to ask you that. It's probably a digression here, but you've obviously written it. Do you use like AI for the art or like it's a very nice uh, presentation? This time around, I've used Mid Journey. Okay. And I'm responsible for all the prompts, with the exception of the first article which is about government regulation. In the edition which you have, it's actually hand-drawn art by an European artist that I met in Prague. Oh, very cool. And I was like, okay, so I had some AI-generated Renaissance art there. I decided to replace it with some actual human-made art. Yeah. Very but cool, the man. graphic design was done by three guys, and I paid them to do it very fast because I wanted to launch it at Pizza Day. Yeah this year and that was in may we basically had one week to finish everything but after that first edition which i think is still available in, in prague if you're going to parallelly police they have a handful of hard copies but i had to make some heavy modifications and fix some typos and the edition that you have right now kyle mm -hmm. is the best of them the most improved as far as i know it has no typos it's the most accurate. I've had more people fact check it. And the, the graphics also look the nicest. Really love it. Next yeah. year, mm -hmm. I want to do another magazine that's going to be called Bitcoin Year One to present all the events and everything significant that happened in the first year in Bitcoin's lifetime. And I also want to turn this breaking FUD concept from the magazine into a book. And I've spoken with a publishing house. Very good. We're going to make it happen sometime this year and it, it's gonna be useful for people who prefer the book over the magazine for some reason a book gets more respect than a magazine even though i don't see much of a difference i think the magazine actually requires more work yeah i think yeah aesthetically it does because books are you know typed and mostly blank pages versus you know every single page you have art on it and multiple pieces of art <laughs> depending um, but yeah, either way, a really attractive magazine. I would look forward to the book. Obviously, your voice is important in the space. Uh, you're not canceled. We're not canceling you. I remember you said you're working full time on getting canceled by some folks in the community for the things that you share. But I appreciate what you're sharing. Um, and again, we're glad to have you on the 84 Million Podcast today. Um, I do have a few FAQs from the community, if we can maybe end on that. Sure, I have time. Okay, sounds good to me. Um, let's see, Lighthouse on Twitter AI uh, on October 6th, he said, uh, what would you like to see built on Litecoin and how do you think MWeb will play out in comparison to other pr privacy options? Again, we already touched on that a little bit. What I'd like to see built on Litecoin. I mean, this sounds pretty selfish, but I Dry spent chains? about, yeah, yeah, I spent about eight <laughs> hours talking with pole stores trying to 
understand how this works. And there are two episodes which I recorded in the last month with him. People have accused me of being paid by him, but it was just my very selfish way to understand how that stuff works. And now I understand why people would not want it into Bitcoin because they are afraid of miners for some reason and their politics. But if it finds its way into Dogecoin or Litecoin or whatever, the risk is that it might get a lot of users and that can be detrimental to the Bitcoin project, to its supremacy. But there's also the risk that it doesn't go anywhere and you're adding extra complexity and the miners have more power. I think in Litecoin, the conflict between nodes and miners is not as pronounced as is the case of Bitcoin. But we shall see. I don't know if it makes sense for Litecoin to have something which is also a scaling solution because you already have merge mining with Doge and you already have the Mimble Wimble extension block. Having the drive chains would only make the stack more complicated. And I'm not even sure if, if Mimble Wimble has a, a lot of use. I'm not sure how many coins are locked on that extension block. But whatever, if I see, if there is demand for this, I would love to see it on Litecoin. As for the second question, what was it? Um, what would you like to see built on Litecoin and how do you think MWeb will play out in comparison to other privacy options? I imagine Monero, Zcash's. So there is some research that's being done. <coughs> as far as I'm aware, the MWeb implementation uses the Grin code. Grin is the pure and free market driven version of the Mimblewimble code base. There's also an implementation that's called Beam, which has VC money and the pre-mine and more of that business model. And it's supposed to finance the development of this protocol. I think Litecoin is going to benefit from all the development that's going to go into Grin. And it's super cool from this point of view, because the privacy is going to get better. The cryptography is going to get better to enable smaller transactions. And it, it was an important first step to integrate this. What matters the most is that it gets traction, because if there is no user demand, you can build the best privacy in the world. But it's not going to matter if people don't use it. Zcash and Monero are more advanced but they also occupy more block space. They're not scalable at this point. So Mimblewimble was, if you ask me, the risky but right choice on the long term. Here, here. And I did look up how many are on, how many Litecoin are pegged into the extension block as of now, 18,461. Um, the height, uh, several months ago, it looked like there was as high as on Saturday, the 3rd of June, there were 364, 650, 364, 653 Litecoin pegged in at one point. It was a giant spike and then it drops. So I don't know, some whale moved a bunch of uh, value in and out of the, out of the extension block. Um, next question would be from Monochromicorn, T-Bull. He was also a torch bearer. Um, October 6th, what are multi-signature transactions outputs? How do they work? Um, what are they good for and why are they needed to mint properties and tokens on Omnilite? 
I'm not particularly familiar with OmniLite and how it's different from the Omni layer on Bitcoin. But multi-sigs are basically a basic way to do smart contracts where you lock the funds into a contract and you have multiple keys that can unlock it. And the condition regarding how many keys are being are going to be able to move the coins if necessary. So that's the way that it works. It's I, I think the concept is, is very much inspired by nuclear codes where they have a similar approach where you have the commander in chief and a few other generals. And let's say that you have five keys and you need three or four of them to be able to launch a nuclear attack. That's the way that it was designed to work. With multi-sig contracts that you do on chain, it's not about nuclear stuff, but it's about your savings. And I think multi-sig is a pretty good scheme for companies or enterprises or maybe funds that are held by multiple people so that you prevent one party from rugging you. And you also know exactly whose address is the one that signed the transaction. So be more for so, maybe custodians, third parties, if we're going to go into that realm, it could make it a little bit more secure. Mm -hmm. For all I know, BitGo, which is the largest custodian right now, is using multi-sig and has taken a bold move back in 2014 when they decided to use multi-sig to store assets. And so far it worked out pretty well for them. There's also the risk of losing your keys or forgetting your keys or dealing with partners who plot against you and basically steal your funds. But you have to work out what's best for you. He's asking in the context of using it with the Omni layer. Correct. As far as I know, the Omni layer is used for issuing tokens, stuff like USDT or whatever. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure why you would want a multi-sig into the Omni layer. But maybe you can explain it to me if you know more. Yeah, there, there's your uh, Q monochromicorn. Go contact Vlad on Twitter. X. Uh, next question we have from um, Kakusu. Um, the Kakusu on October 6th. Um, a little bit hard to understand this one. Attack cost aside, how a more efficient tech is less valued? We can try to interpret that language. Attack. I'm not sure what where he's going. I'm not either. I'm sorry, Kaku, so, Kakusi, we're going to have to pass on you <laughs> for this is one. Is he saying that newer tech is cheaper to attack? Either, uh, perhaps, attack cost aside, how a more efficient tech is less valued. So maybe Litecoin is more efficient than others, yet it's less valued than, per se, Bitcoin. I, I, I We could read this a few different ways. Hard to say. Um, let's move on to the next one. Uh, it's the last one we have here, and then I'll add my own personal one at the end. This is from Master BTC LTC, Shan Baloo, October 5th. Uh, why does he, Vlad, like Supras so much? Isn't there a better car? Well, there are multiple reasons for this. First of all, I'm a 90s kid who grew up watching the Fast and the Furious movies. And there's a very famous scene with the Toyota Supra in the first film from 2001. And I've also played with the Toyota Supra in the Need for Speed games, which were Underground 1 and 2, and then also Most Wanted. 
So there's the nostalgia factor. But I've also asked myself here, everyone talks about getting a Lambo, right? We go to the moon and we're going to buy a Lambo. I don't have enough Bitcoin to buy a Lambo, you know, (laughs) or I can wait for like 25 years or something until I get a Lambo. And what's the point? I don't want to wait that much. And I want to be able to enjoy my youth, you know, while I'm still here and I can enjoy it. And I'm healthy. Yes. So what is the car that can bring me 90% of the Lambo experience at 10% of the Lambo cost? And that's the Toyota Supra. Very good. And that's the rationale behind it. And then I created the Supra Cycle model, which basically says that we're all going to get girlfriends after we buy Supras during the bull market. I can't and because it's very... I'm married. Good luck it... to you, though. Maybe that your wife can get a girlfriend. I don't know. <laughs> and she can take her shopping and listen to her problems and help her cook and stuff like that. Wash the dishes. So we get a house assistant. Okay, maybe. Anyway, it also sounds a bit like the super cycle, which was a narrative that failed during the previous bull market. People saying, yeah, this is it. It's never going down. It's the super cycle. It's going to go up forever, Laura. You know, that ended up being a narrative that was being pushed by institutions to provide reassurance to the average holder while they were selling. So they dumped on us, they fooled us, and they left us with this stupid narrative that broke. But the super cycle is actually practical. It invites you to improve your life, to get a nice car, move out of your mom's basement, and maybe also get a girlfriend. I mean, why not? It's much better than saying, hold forever, wait until I don't know when, and there's going to be a reward at the end. I'm not dealing with that. I'm not selling hopium. I'm just telling you that you should try to enjoy your life and find something meaningful that you want to do. The super cycle gives people hope and I'm happy to be the main preacher of this movement. And the Toyota Supra is nice. And if you want to see super girlfriends, look it up. Go to your favorite search engine, type super girlfriend and you're going to see lots of pictures which are not AI generated. There's a huge culture regarding super girlfriends and I would like to be a part of that. I wish you well, sir, on that uh, endeavor. And, uh, you know, the Supra cycle hasn't been proven proven wrong, wrong yet. Uh, so I, I, again, wish you luck on that. Do you have a time frame for the Supra cycle or? Of course, H- how do we price track models it? have a price prediction. Let me figure out how I can share my screen. Uh huh. I'm using Skype. We are using Skype. Correct. Hopefully, I, with the way I plugged you into my interface, it will allow you to share your screen without keeping your face. We'll do our best. But you okay, can still read us we... either way. Here we go. Let's try share screen. I'm going to share the information from this screen from Firefox this start sharing so you should be able to see this right i see it personally Uh, i do not see it on our interface but that's okay we can still uh hear you as you explain it sorry folks for the visuals you won't be able to see it of course the podcast you couldn't see it anyway basically 
we have some time frames and until September of 2024, I predict that we're going to hit 70K and we're going to be able to get one Toyota GR Supra, which is the latest model. Preferably get the manual transmission one because it's much nicer. It gives you the frills and it's a nice car. Some people argue that it has the BMW engine, but it's vetted by Toyota. The design of the car is made by Toyota. It has the Toyota quality standards. So, so far I hear only good stuff about it. No major complaints about reliability as is the case with many BMW cars. But if you want to get the real deal, which is more expensive, it's the Mark IV, which was made available between 1994 and I think the early 2000s. If you want to get one of these, it's going to be more expensive, especially if it's tuned to have around a thousand horsepower and it's the legendary 2JZ GT engine. I think stock, it has 250 or something horsepower, but it's so robust, so well built that you can basically tune it up to a thousand horsepower. It was from around the time when Toyota was over engineering everything. Uh And it's proof, it's a testament of their good engineering. And that's more expensive right now because there's a huge culture around it. Maybe that we should blame the Fast and the Furious movies for pushing the price and Paul Walker for dying and becoming such a legend that right now the Toyota Supra is more expensive. But between September 2024 and January of 2026, we're going to hit 100K, and for one Bitcoin, you're going to be able to get that nice car and get all the frills of the best of JDM. You know, Some people are going to say, no, the N- Nissan Skyline Type R is much better, yeah. or no, you should get the Honda Civic or the Mazda RX-7 or whatever. I like the Toyota Supra. I like the Supra Cycle. I designed the price model around it. And I think that with one Toyota Supra, you're going to get one girlfriend. That's my right. hypothesis. It has yet to be tested. There you go. Well, we're underway, and that's impressive. Um, I appreciate you for unpacking that for us. Um, last question, then we'll land the plane. This is a personal question. Um, is Litecoin still silver to Bitcoin's gold? Mm, I, I think it's not a very useful narrative, but it helps with people understanding what it is. I think if you pushed more into Litecoin is fungible and has some privacy built in, that would attract more users. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of Bitcoin being digital gold either. I can understand why it's a useful parallel because a lot of people understand gold, but they have no proper understanding of how Bitcoin works. But It's computer code, and there are so many ways in which you can use it. And I would not want to limit people's imagination to just gold. Also, gold implies the idea, or silver, implies the idea that it's going to be held by custodians and you're going to get paper certificates of it, because that's how most people use gold. And I'm not a fan of that either. I think it should be all about sovereign money, digital cash that you can transact without anyone's permission around the world using the internet. And the fact that you have some extra privacy 
while you're doing that is excellent and something that we should all pursue. Anyway, I wanted to say about the super cycle that I'm going to send you my MWeb yes. address. And if people want to donate to that, let's say that if I get to like $20,000 in Litecoin being donated, I'm going to put a Litecoin logo on my Toyota Supra, maybe on Noble cause. the passenger's door or something like that. That would be cool. Yes, absolutely. Send me your MWeb address. I'm going to also link to your No talk. pressure. <laughs> no, no problem. And I'm also going to link to your proof of work summit and throw a few other links in for folks to watch. I think we'll, we'll end there. Vlad, I really appreciate you coming on. I think it was a great discussion. Uh, appreciate the time zone um, connection here and that we made this work out. Uh, I'll have this posted soon, but did you want to end with anything? No, it's all good. Just keep on studying. Don't limit yourself to narratives. There's so much more to this technology than you think. And also look into the history because most of the stuff that's being brought up during bull markets like DeFi or whatever was already conceptualized as early as 2013, 2014. And even before that, some ideas were being presented. Read cypherpunk literature because that's very important to remember or remind yourself why you are still here and keep up with the good work you know it's really good that there are people interested in this space at all and spending most of their waking hours thinking about it and trying to improve it keep doing it that's the most important part very good bright days are ahead we say and uh, we will continue on and continue on all right vlad you can find him on twitter at the vlad costea he's also i believe on noster and some other platforms um of course btc tkvr uh, the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. These are some uh, areas you can uh, hear more about uh, Vlad directly from him. So again, thank you for coming on the show and uh, have a good one. See ya.